To ensure Racefuel's customers can have next day delivery, our stock of racing fuels is warehoused all across Australia and New Zealand. Racefuel stock is available via distribution points in Sydney, Brisbane, Perth and Auckland. And of course our head office is based in Dandenong, Melbourne. Racefuel's distribute and deliver the drums to your workshop, tune house or racetrack. So even if you're in lockdown, we can get your fuel to you. Find out more at racefuels.com.au Two of the very best operators parked up in the garage. Wow. This has been coming for a long time. These two do not like each other. There are two parts of the story as always. Red flag, this is a suspended uh, race. It's the Parked Up Podcast. We're powered by Race Fuels and my name is Grant Rowley. This is episode number 70. And for the 70th time in a row, I've got Tony Delberto with me. He is looking pretty fly today. Tony D, how are you? Am I really? Am I really yeah. looking good? Yeah, for a white guy, yep. Not too you know bad. what? I'm actually, I need a bit of a haircut. And, oh, don't uh, we both? Considering we've just gone back into a bit of lockdown, in a bit of trouble in the, in that regard, I think our hair is going to get a bit out of control. But other than that, than that Grant, I'm very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, welcome to our listeners for this week. Thank yes. you for joining us again for our 70th episode. We're celebrating today in a big way. We've got an amazing show, even though there's been bugger all car racing on. Yep. Um, we've got some really cool guests on the show. We've got mm-hmm. two, actually. Two we're guests. Going we're going big. And we're not going to charge you a single cent extra for having an extra guest on. No. That's no. the type of people we are. And we're going a little bit diverse today, Grant. We've Ooh, got... Diversity. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a, a motorbike rider, Wayne okay. Maxwell. Oh, Wayne, the Wayne train. The Wayne train. Yeah, good friend of mine. And who else we got on? I can't remember. <laughs> Come on. We got, Chris, we got Chris Stubbs. We got Chris Stubbs. Toe Stubbs. Don't you hate it when you stub your toe? Is that, his, is that his real nickname? No, I just made that up just on the spot. Toe Stubbs. No, it's terrible. Chris Stubbs. Chris Stubbs, who is part of the Channel 7 uh, news sports news team. He, you would have seen him on all the Australian Racing Group TCR uh, S5000 coverages for the start of this year. Uh, and he was for the for the keen Olympic listeners. He was uh, asking some questions to the athletes after they'd done their events. Now he was operating from the Sydney studios, and he's currently doing a bit of hotel quarantining. But he's heading up to Tokyo to do the Paralympics. So a busy little period for uh, our good friend Chris Stubbs who uh, usually talks a lot about uh, AFL or motor racing, but for the past little while has been focused on the Olympics. So uh, with while he's in his own little parked up situation, we thought we'd give him a call as well. So um, Wayne Maxwell and Chris Stubbs are going to come up very, very, very shortly. I, I didn't really forget Stubbsy. Sorry, mate. I'm only, I'm only kidding. Oh, how could I forget that beautiful no, face? That's right. Um, but... Uh, we were in lockdown this weekend, or well, the past weekend, Grant. Um, yep. Yep, yep. Now, yep. there's there's not much you get really allowed to do. So, did you get up to much on the weekend, or did you just um, I just sat around, sit at home? Did I you just really though? All of all of the times at home. All and right. I'd like you to prove otherwise. Okay. All right. I don't believe you for a second. Uh, no, no. Weekend was pretty lame, really. Not much. I didn't didn't even do didn't even jump on my little simulator and 
and play that thing either. I don't know. It's just it was lame. It was lame weekend. Sounds lame. So I watched actually. Now. I watched some Netflix, and I hadn't sat on on Sunday. I sat down and watched some Netflix, which I hadn't done for ages. I hadn't given myself a opportunity or chance to sit and do nothing. And I watched the uh, there's a there's these short little doco series, the movies that made us, and they put out four new ones, and they were on Back to the Future, Forrest Gump, um, Pretty Woman, oh. and there, and there was another one that I've completely forgotten. But they're awesome. They're they're edited like really really well. And they give a really good insight into how the movies were made and the the problems that they have with actors and studios and um, casting and sets. Jurassic Park was the uh, was the fourth one that I'm missing. They are a really really cool insight, and um, for anyone who uh, likes those little behind the scenes uh, things on uh, stuff that was cool back in the day, like all those four movies were. Um, yeah, the movies that made us. Are, uh, were pretty cool. Very they cool. Should, they should perhaps do one on Grant Rowley. He Mo- was cool back in the day. <laughs> yes. What, <laughs> what's happened to the, the rise and fall of Grant Rowley? <laughs> no, nah, that's a bit rude. That's sure. A bit rude. That's okay. You um, are being a bit rude today. But just that's a little fine. bit cheeky. Um, there was a little bit of car racing on, which we will talk about in the news. Um, okay. So it hasn't stopped, although it's stopped here in Australia completely. We do have still quite a bit to talk about. So should we go to the news? Okay, let's do it. Let's get on with it. Okay, this is the news. The news is brought to us by motorsportwebsites.com.au. And yeah, Tony, there was some racing going around. Of course, we spoke to Scott McLaughlin in our last episode of Parked Up. And he was exuding some level of confidence about the Nashville circuit now i hadn't actually seen any of the uh, nashville street track or what it was going to look like of course this was the very first one that they'd run it was awesome it was a bloody awesome racetrack it was really cool a real true um street circuit so to speak mm. bumpy mm-hmm. as hell i mean mm. those indy cars are, are very stiffly sprung so uh, they feel every bump but as they're coming over the bridge and off the bridge um, just the, you know, the shock that the drivers must've been feeling sitting in those little, those little cockpits, um, would have been intense. So, uh, very physical looking circuit, 80 laps around Nashville and disappoint because there was, I think five or six, uh, safety cars. There was two red flags. The guy that won the race, Marcus Erickson at one stage, Grant was flying into the air. Yes. So he ran over the. Well, it was a safety car period and he ran over um, the car in front of him mm-hmm. and, you know, tore the front wing off the thing. And you'd think like with the amount of air that he got and landed, it would have bent suspension or something, but it didn't. Um, so they've repaired it. They've um, put a new wing on it. And through the attrition of the race, he's got himself back to the front and he's he's won the race somehow. So from uh, from zero to hero, very good result for Marcus Ericsson. Our own Scotty McLaughlin, uh, unfortunately, didn't have a very good race, but it all sort of stemmed back a little bit from qualifying. It was an interrupted session. Uh, there was a red flag, and he, they only got an, one opportunity to post a time. He did time with a car that had a back wheel pointing in the wrong direction, unfortunately. So qualified poorly, and then it was sort of like a recovery mission for him. But he, he had the fifth fastest lap of the race. Um, he made up 13 spots over the race at various points, uh, but there was a bit of... Uh, 
bit of a kerfuffle and uh, he ended up a couple laps down in the end. So not a good result, but there are some glimmers of hope for him that he can take away from these events. And eventually I think it's going to click and he's going to have one of these weekends that he can uh, really be proud of. So yeah, interesting weekend for those guys. Their first race at Nashville, very mm. hot conditions, crashes galore. Um, and to be honest, I think Colton Herter was the guy that um, should have won the event. He qualified on pole by about a second. And um, it was only because of unfortunate circumstances he didn't win. Interesting facts though, Grant. Okay. Go. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So brand new circuit, right? Mm-hmm. And one thing we used to do with supercars when we went to a new circuit we'd actually you'd you'd do a run through pit lane to see how long it would take you um, from the entry to pit lane through pit lane at 40 k's an hour to the exit of pit lane right so you'd, Mm -hmm. you'd have a time now they'd obviously never raced here before and there was where the um pit lane was it cut part of the circuit obviously so the pit lane was on the inside of the circuit but on the racetrack there was a, a really slow chicane. So if the cars, if there was a safety car period, you could get through the pit lane quicker than what you could when you were behind the safety car. Oh no. So this yep. happened, this happened quite a few times in the race and people sort of clicked onto this. So they'd make a pit stop, service their car, come out four spots ahead of where they were on track. Good Lord. So then they were trying to slow the safety car down to like walking pace basically. And it was just an absolute cluster, absolute <laughs> cluster. So what they really needed to do was uh, stop people from coming in during the safety car, close the pit lane. So you couldn't pit and that would have eliminated that. But that I think it took them by surprise a little bit, unfortunately. And it looked, it looked pretty bad from a organizational point of view for, yeah. the, for the sport. Uh, we're pretty smart, us human beings, but sometimes we uh, we just really outdo ourselves, don't we? Yeah, yeah, no good, but very entertaining race. So and yes. it took over three hours to do the race. So yeah, the race was buggered. race was almost ending in darkness as well. Mm. Mm. But how good did that track? The track looked awesome, going over the bridge and going back. You know, going back the other way over the bridge. And Nashville is like a really, really cool town as well. I had uh, the very uh, fortuitous opportunity to go to Nashville back in 2013 when Supercars did the one-off race at Austin. I think it was meant to be one of five straight years in Austin, but um, it ended up being just uh, on that one occasion. And, of course, um, I was working for the Nissan Motorsport team. Nissan has a huge plant at uh, uh, very close to Nashville, so... We, we stayed in Nashville for a couple of days and did uh, and stopped there on one of the days to look through the Nissan factory. Uh, and then the very next day we took the, it's about a one and a half hour drive out to this little town called Tennessee where they, um, where they make this little whiskey. brown Tennessee whiskey liquid, liquid called Jack gold. Daniels. So that was, uh, that made up a, a little stopover before we went down to Austin and the Nashville is the best town or one of the best towns in the world certainly one of the best i've ever been to because like we went to the we went to the hotel and we had dinner downstairs at the hotel or whatever and we we'd we'd arrived at night time so we didn't really see anything we've just got dropped off at the you know off the plane to the airport dump bags get changed go downstairs have dinner of course, as soon as dinner was finished, let's go out and just have a look and see what's there. And 
the hotel I was staying at was, I don't know, what I felt was right at the very top of town. And you'd sort of look down the main street and just illuminated lights uh, on both sides of the street. And you just thought, oh, wow, I'm in, I'm in Wonderland here. There's got to be some things that we can do down here. The very uh, pub or uh, club little joint, whatever it was, next to the hotel had live music. You could hear the live music while we were at the, at the hotel. So we had a couple of beers there, walked out and, and like two doors, two doors later, there's like a, a clothes shop in between. And then there's another bar with live music. And then you walk out of that and there's another bar with live music. It's just like every third or fourth shop was a bar that was selling beer and they had live music and they had sports up on the thing. And it was an absolute wonderland. Uh, yeah. It sounds like a party. It was yeah, right up your alley, mate. It, right it, up your alley. Yeah, you know, I just I had quiet nights, so yeah, sure. That's <clears> yes, dear. <throat> hey, um, talking about other forms of motorsport, and we and we do have Wayne Maxwell on the show today. Um, a bit of MotoGP over the weekend. Obviously, the news about Valentino Rossi retiring. Um, I didn't see any of the racing, but apparently you did. So talk us through it. Yeah. Uh, so Jorge Martin won the Styrian Grand Prix, and they're hanging around in Austria to do another round there later this week so it is going to keep us uh keep the racing fix nice and nice and good while we're kind of in this uh bitter lockdown at the moment here in melbourne in sydney and basically any other part of the country that uh that we all care about um there was a pretty fiery crash though uh with the which involved danny pedrosa was only on the second or the third lap and one of the riders had fallen off and Pedrosa's come around and absolutely smashed into him with bikes catching on fire and all sorts of things. So uh, that was pretty gnarly. Uh, Jack Miller was in contention for a podium, but he lost control of his bike. And I think with about eight rounds to go, his, uh, his chances of winning the world title are now pretty slim. So that was, that was a little bit disappointing. But um, I guess the weekend was kind of owned a bit by Valentino Rossi and the announcement that he wouldn't be racing anymore. You know, he's been in, competing at the top level for almost 20 years. Uh, and, you know, when you think about uh, MotoGP or you think about bike racing, you think Valentino Rossi. Um, so I sort of, I, I, it got me sort of thinking about what were my favourite Valentino Rossi moments. Can, can, you, can you think of any off the top of your head? Look, I've just been a big fan of his helmet designs over the years. I just mm -hmm. think they're, they're so unique um, and he's always changing them. He's obviously got a bit of a knack for some of that artistic sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, I, I've just always loved the the moon and the and the sun on either side of his helmet. I think it's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, you, obviously a character. A great character and something that the sport will miss. I'm sure he won't be too far. He won't ever be too far away. And maybe he might do some four-wheel racing. There's uh, plenty of news reports that he would move into into that. Um, but the the it couple just... of the, the couple of moments that I remember for for Valentino was down here, Phillip Island Grand Prix in 2003. It was the first year that I was working with Motorsport News. And he'd copped a 10-second penalty for, for some reason. I wasn't really sure. And we thought, well, you know, he, he, I think he'd, he was on a bit of a tear and he'd won quite a few uh, Phillip Island Grand Prix in a row, Australian Grand Prix. But 
like he rode like a man possessed and not only did he come back through the field um with that 10 second penalty but he also like passed everybody and went on to win the race by um <laughs> by like 15 seconds or something to ensure that he took a a five second win so i you know at the time it just felt like that he was uh, unstoppable and he had more world titles in him uh, uh, even after that. And th- another little battle that I remember is when he beat Casey Stoner at Laguna Seca, passed him at the corkscrew uh, in a, like Casey had run wide and uh, Rossi had been putting him under pressure and it kind of um, switched the, the, the momentum of the championship started to go into Rossi's favour after that and he went on to win that title, um, beating beating Casey so um, even though at the time I was kind of definitely going for Casey Stoner as the Australian but it was just a mark of the it was yeah, a mark of Rossi's talents that that he was able to to do that they're the two little moments that stick out for me I'm, I'm so glad that he's finally decided to retire um, from that top line um, riding because you know he's been such an amazing athlete for so long He's won what nine championships? Is that right? Nine world championships. Yep, yep. It's um, a lot. It's a huge amount, and you know he's probably not you know at the, at his peak at the moment. I'm I'm not familiar with whether he's on the right bike at the right time at the moment or anything like that. But you know you want him to retire at a time when you you remember him for all the good things, you know. And um, I think it's it's it potentially could be a couple of years too late for that, but. It's definitely a good time for him to bail out. And he's starting his own team next year. Um, there's a little bit of chat about him maybe riding for that, but I don't think that's on the cards. Now, Grant, I actually had a little giggle because uh, on the weekend, well, after Valentino decided to retire, um, Supercars put a little post up, uh, a little social media post, and they put Valentino's head uh, on a Red Bull race suit. And they said, we hear that you're looking for a new seat and, and J-Dub is retiring. So how about it? <laughs> and I text you about it. I said, that's such a strange thing to put up. Like, so weird. The guy's sponsored by Monster. Why yep. would they put him in a Red Bull suit? I yep. get it because J-Dub. Yep. But that's a good idea, but uh, executed quite poorly. And then I went to find it and they deleted it. So <laughs> it wasn't just me that thought that. Uh, did you actually see that? I saw that the post was sent around uh, little various groups that I have in the ah, uh, little uh, journal groups. Yes, yeah. So that was sent around, but then I didn't realise it had been axed until you had told me it had been axed. So yeah, it kind of kind of made a little bit of sense. I can't imagine Valentino's uh, people getting too upset about it or even understanding knowing that supercars might've done that, but I could see how some of his sponsor groups might've been, you know, a little worried about that. Yeah. I don't think the supercars want someone uh, tapping them on the shoulder and um, sending them a, a very angry letter. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Um, well, well, it's nice that we're talking about two wheels. We don't get to talk. We don't talk too much uh, in the two wheel department uh, mm. very often. So uh, it kind of led us to think. Well, let's. Uh, you, you've done a fair bit of work with Wayne Maxwell. Of course, he races in the Australian Superbike Championship. This, like Valentino, it's his last year racing. At the moment, we're doing absolutely no racing because we're we're dead set parked up, powered by race fields. But. <laughs> But he, he's, uh, I think what, what Valentino has done, he saw, hang on, Wayne's hanging up the 
the, yeah. uh, the, the helmet. Maybe I might need to do that too. Um, so Wayne Maxwell has been at this uh, superbike caper for quite some time. He's won the championship on two occasions. He's raced overseas. He's he's been there and done that, and typically, and he's raced for all the different brands. Um, <laughs> but you know him quite well through uh, through the fitness stuff that you guys did. I think you must have been uh, maybe at the start of your supercars career while you guys were doing stuff flat out. Yeah, yeah, it was at the start of my full-time career. Um, we were a customer of Walkinshaw Racing and, uh, yeah, used to rock up to the swimming pool almost every morning um, or the gym and uh, train next to Wayne. So uh, he's he's the Wayne train and very fit, very dedicated, and ever since then I followed his career. So great to have him on the show. It only took 70 episodes, so I'm sure he won't give us too much shit about that. <laughs> uh, but just be good to catch up, see what he's doing, how how he's feeling in his time because, um, as you know, we're all parked up. And mm. um, a lot of people think that because you're, he's a professional athlete, that's all he'd be doing. But I can assure you uh, he'll be getting his hands dirty, trying to earn a little bit of money in between time, um, you know, when he doesn't uh, have his helmet on. So He's a good bloke. Let's uh, let's catch up with him now. Yep, we've got Chris Stubbs coming up soon. Of course, he was part of the Olympic broadcast. But first, as you say, let's talk to Wayne Maxwell right here on the Parked Up podcast. And it's great to have Wayne Maxwell on the Parked Up podcast. Wayne, thanks for joining us. Yeah, g'day, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Hey, no worries, mate. Uh, we're we're a little parked up at the moment. No, no racing, and I just, I saw on your facebook page that you you had a dream that it was race week but uh unfortunately it's not race week we're not going racing um we talk a lot of four wheels on here but just as frustrating for guys on two wheels uh to to not be going racing yeah uh, after we got through last year i thought this year we'd have smooth sailing but it's just been more interruptions and it's been so difficult um not only for people melbourne based like myself but the whole country so it was good to get darwin race out away with the v8s but not sure exactly when we're going to get uh back racing again there's so much uncertainty yeah it's a it's a really weird time um and a little bit unfortunate for yourself i think because you have announced that this year will be your last year racing do you sort of regret it a little bit now in a way that you think well it could be a really interrupted year and not a not a traditional championship to actually fight for yeah, it's a little bit disappointing. Um, and we and same as like the start of last year, I had a lot of momentum going, especially the Queensland-based people because they never seemed to get it affected. So it sort of gives them a bit of time to test and we're sitting at home. My, my team's this year's Sydney-based, so they're locked down. We're locked down. And um, yeah, so definitely feeling that. But the problem when you make the rules, Tony, you can break them. So, you know, I've made the rule that I'm going to stop. So I've just got to try to stick to that. Just got to run with it. Yeah, try to stick to that. Don't break those rules. Now, we, uh, we had some news this week about Valentino Rossi uh, retiring uh, this year. Now, being a writer yourself, um, did you see that coming? Is there a point in your career that you think, hey, it's time for me to stop? I've, I've um, had my fun. I've had my enjoyment. Maybe there's a bit too much risk attached to riding because as a racing driver, we've got roof and you know a lot more protection than what you guys do. So you're bound to hurt yourself a bit more often than what we do. Um, but you guys have been quite lucky in that regard. But surely there comes a time when it's like, right, I'm done. I'm sorted now. I've had my fun. 
Yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, um, I don't want to end up like Valentino where I was once, you know, a winner and then I'm just there. I guess it depends on so many things. Like, obviously, he can still make a lot of money doing what he does, whether he wins, loses or draws, where if I don't win, it's there's not like it used to be where you can be a, you know, a good teammate to bring on someone young or anything like that. It's either you're a winner or you and get paid or you're just just uh, paying, basically. So I don't want to do that. And, um, yeah, you start thinking about the risks definitely more. And uh, I think when those thoughts happen, I think, um, yeah, maybe that's enough time. So I'm trying to not to think about the risks really at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of time to think, though. Yeah, huge amount of time to think. Now, we've actually had we've got quite a history, um, which a lot of people wouldn't know about, because we used to train almost daily together. Um, we had the same fitness trainer. Now, on our show, we are actually sponsored by a training company, Reaction Performance. Lee Summation is our trainer both myself and Grant actually trains Grant more than he trains me. Yes. And I'd need maximum training as well. Thank you. <laughs> you do. You Spend do. most of my day sitting in a chair. But we used to see uh, a guy called Anthony Clarica and we used to train with the Walkshaw boys and we go swimming and running and riding. And you've always been really committed to your training, probably more so than what I have, but on a physical side of things, obviously riding the bike is very busy, very physically demanding in between time, like now where we're in a lockdown and we can't get out and race and all that sort of stuff, how do you keep yourself nice and sharp? It's just been, I've just been trying to tick the sessions off and not, um, you know, I've got to feel tired, I have a day off, but try to train more than not. I think the diet's the hard thing to control, like sitting <laughs> <laughs> binging and watching stuff on Netflix while reaching into the bowl for another chocolate is, um, you know, is uh, not ideal. But it's, um, yeah, I'm pretty motivated like that, thankfully. And, um, yeah, it's hopefully I can just get through this next little patch and then um, we'll see what happens. I'm the same. I'm absolutely the worst at the moment. You think, well, I don't have a race for like two months. It's fine. Another weekend, I'll just have a few more beers and chocolate. And then you think, well, <laughs> hang on. It's getting it on top of me right now. <laughs> need to slow down. Yeah, I haven't. Um, I just do the mirror test. I haven't stood on any scales. So I just sort of flex in the mirror and I go, oh, that looks too bad. But um, <laughs> probably the scales would say another thing so Wayne you've done some training with Tony then and you've seen his skills what uh, where where does he excel at and, and where does he need a little bit of work he's, uh, he's definitely pretty handy on the bench press he was um he's always pretty strong on the bench press nah he, Tony was pretty good all around actually he was one of the guys that was pretty much always at the sessions he didn't really miss too much so he was um it was pretty good all around he was um commitment guess, uh, grant Commitment, yeah. So, now, swimming, I used to suck ass real bad. No swimming. good. Swimming, so uh, yeah, I was pretty. I wasn't that good at the start at swimming. I got better and better, but like, yeah, I was terrible. I couldn't even swim fifty meters. I, I was hopeless. So <laughs> yeah, I didn't uh, look down on anyone that couldn't swim. That was for sure. All right, so we're so we're parked up for a little while, unfortunately, and we're not going racing. But the one great thing uh, that we've seen with the Australian Superbike Championship is that it's been supporting. The, the supercars, we had that uh, great round up at Hidden Valley, even though there was a, a couple of frightening accidents there. It, uh, mm. it was, a, um, it was a, uh, a bit of a nice reminder about how dangerous the sport that you compete in is. But we've also got Phillip Island, which has been confirmed for uh, later in the year, if we can get that all going. Uh, the two-by-fours, you know, they were a um, part and parcel of how we went racing in the 80s and 90s. We sort of sort of drop off for a little bit, but do you see the advantage of having those two 
compete together on the same weekend? Yeah, it's definitely a fantastic. Like the V8s are the, you know, the pinnacle um, motorsport class in, in Australia and it has been for some while. So look, it's good to go there and be in that paddock, be involved with uh, those guys. I enjoy going there. I guess I know so many other guys in the paddock from like what Tony spoke about from training and bits and pieces. So um, yeah, it was pretty cool. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one. We're trying, our sport's sort of growing, but it's at that stage of, um, you know, it needs to go from being, you know, sort of a family-based teams to more professional-based teams. There is obviously your factory teams, but it's good for those guys to understand that and hopefully, you know, they get some exposure because our, our product's pretty good. So it'd be nice to be able to, you know, piggyback off some of the V8s and, you know, get some crossovers. Obviously myself with Boost is a is a crossover to they're heavily involved in V8s and Herfoster's team is Penrite Honda. So both those two teams are majorly involved. So yeah, we'll see, hopefully. Excited about Phillip Island, it's my favorite track and um, to race the other V8s is pretty cool. So what are some of the things that you think that the superbike teams could look at, uh, look through the supercars guys and see, you know, what they could take from that to, uh, to use themselves? I think mainly the biggest thing is just the professionalism. Um, they've always got camera on them 24 seven, like, and, and so everything's tidy in the pits. Um, and just the way that the, the, they speak when they're in an interview, the way they talk about their team members and, you know, they, their engineer and yeah, just the, the technical side, I guess the broadcast is so good with V8s and um, yeah, broadcast is not at that level, but um, I know they're working towards it. Now, speaking of the broadcast, uh, one of our good friends, Rihanna Crean, has joined the Superbikes uh, this year. Um, how has she been settling in? Has she been giving you a few extra interviews uh, considering you guys are friends? <laughs> nah, she's, she's ace. Rihanna's really good. Um, she's, she's so good. She's so personable for me. Like, I don't know, it's because I already know her, but um, when you have an interview, I guess it's like talking to you. It's easy, you know? It's like just having a coffee or a beer and having a chat. So it's, um, it's really good. And um, yeah, she's, her knowledge is growing and you can tell that by the hard work she puts in away from the track. Now, just off air, you were telling us about a new championship that that Australia is going to embrace that you're assisting with, uh, and I can't remember exactly what it was called, but it sounds <laughs> really, really cool. Yeah, it's um, so I was lucky enough a few years ago to um, become the importer with uh, two of my good mates of Ovali Australia, which is like a mini a training bike that started out that um, a lot of MotoGP riders use, and then we've seen some junior categories come out of that. So obviously. In Europe, there's a, especially Italy and Spain, there's a massive amount. They start at five, six, seven years old and go up from there where we don't start road racing until we're sort of 11 here now we have a category for. And out of that, we've seen a lot of development. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. And the Ovali is an Italian-made bike. It's got a number of different sizes. And, yeah, look, it's, it's really good. It's called the Mini GP Series. And, um, you know, it's run the same regulation in uh, every country that, that competes in it. And then um, obviously the the winner and gets to go to Spain for the World Cup final in Valencia. So excited to uh, be involved in that in 2022 next year. Yep. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I've lost track of years with all the lockdowns. I don't know. So have we. Just <laughs> like one big nightmare. But yeah, so yeah, really excited. Um, we get down to Oakley uh, in Melbourne and uh, have a ride every Tuesday night, which has been great for my riding and sort of reinvigorated me being down there with the young guys and been able to ride each week and work on my skills. Cool. So it's, so for 10 year olds, I think you were saying, is that right? That's the. Yeah. The main class is the main class is 10 to 14 year olds. Um, we also like, obviously I ride, there's heaps of adults ride and there'll be a number of other classes, but that's the main mini GP class that 
we want to develop young riders to come into and um, come out of and try to, you know, we've got a very strong contingent at the moment in the MotoGP paddock, obviously with Remy and Jack. But, um, mm. you know, if those guys had had this category, like how good could they um, have, how good they, could they really be? So that's the, um, that's one of MotoGP's pathways. And yeah, as I said, I'm pretty excited. It's pretty good being around the young guys and seeing how skillful they, they can get. I love this concept, Grant, because it's probably the only bike that I've seen that I'll be able to handle, not only from like a size point of view, but actually a power point of view as well. Yeah, perfect. Um, but the question I did have, Wayne, I was, they look obviously very small. You got like on them. Do you feel like really cramped up and uh, do you get, you know, cramps when you're, when you're riding them? Like it's completely different, obviously. Yeah, at the start, it feels so foreign. Um, the bike feels pretty uh, small and it's it's definitely foreign. But um, yeah, it, you get used to it. Like the, fir- the first time you ride, it's the worst. And after that, it gets better and better. And, you know, you would know Oakley go-kart track quite well. Did, yeah, yeah bumpy quite well, as. Tony. So um, it's probably actually more suited at the moment to a motorbike than a go-kart um, being bumpy and, you know, uh, cracks and stuff. So, um, yeah, what's a good lap time there, Tony? And I can tell you. Oh, I can't even remember. You'd have these a lap days. record still, wouldn't you, or something? No, oh, definitely yeah. not. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What do they do around there? Yeah, I, I don't know. It depends on the class. So yeah, I think my I've done a forty-four-three. I think is the best I've done. A forty-something so, uh, doesn't sound familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Not sure. But uh, hey, hey, if you're ever uh, looking for somebody just to fill a couple of seats. Grant and I would be more than happy to come down. <laughs> we could do our podcast from the from uh, there on a Tuesday or something. <laughs> yeah, you could do do a bit of film. I think the footage wouldn't would tell a better story than the words, though. If we could um, get some footage out, yeah, I love seeing the footage on your social media. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It looks like you hey. probably have to double take. Is that like a normal bike or what is that? <laughs> <laughs> hey i did want to just ask you a quick question on the progress uh with uh, one of your good mates troy herfoss with uh, his shunt that he had up in darwin he's actually uh, apparently i've heard he's going pretty well yeah he really um he is going really well um he's been really positive um that's the biggest thing i think um it's the worst injury you could not the worst injury but it's a really difficult time for someone like him that's so active and you know, he cycles sort of 700 or five to 700 K a week and he trains really, really hard. So when that's taken away, let alone racing and, you know, mm. you go pretty stir crazy. So he's back on his push bike now. He's sort of walking with a, without He's you know, he's got a crutch and he's getting around, he's in the pool and yeah. So it's, it's coming, it's coming back. Um, he's got a long road ahead, but he um, is still talking about racing motorbikes and he's keen to get it back out there. So that's pretty exciting. It's um, yeah, he's a pretty good competitor and, love to not uh, lose him to a incident <laughs> like that he's going to be quite lucky for him actually with this lockdown and the big break because he's he could potentially have this injury recover and not lose <laughs> any points in the championship so not so good for you though yeah no that's right Look, i think um even if he came back he probably wouldn't be at his be at his best so um i'd probably be lucky like that but i would happy to be racing before the year's out so i'd be pretty excited to be able to do that a few more times and um yeah, just having there for the beers at the end is the, is the best part. <laughs> uh, Wayne, we thank you for joining us on the Parked Up podcast. You, you're currently leading the Australian Superbike Championship. In your last year, what will it mean to to get this one under your belt and add another title to your list? 
uh, I guess in the group of, that I've finished my, I've ridden for factory teams. I've ridden for all sorts of different stuff, but the group of people that I'm with now, I don't know. It's just got a special feeling about it. It's unexplainable. There's a, a connection. Everyone in the team involved, you know, understands exactly uh, what their role is and understands that each role is important without all those cogs in it. It doesn't run, but uh, to me, it would just be like to finish on top and, um, and to the way we've done it is will be pretty special. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And um, yeah, happy to get out of there in one piece. That's the main thing. <laughs> You're not going to be one of these, uh, one of these two wheel guys who are going to uh, jump on to jump into a four wheel, four wheel racing. <laughs> we, we, hey, we, we'd love to see this. Is that, a, is that something you've thought about? <laughs> Uh, I would love to have a drive. I've actually, do you know, I've actually never been in a V8, even as a passenger. I've actually, oh, we'll have been to sort one. that out. I was meant to go in Darwin, but I let the other team members go and stuff. And after riding, I was like all hot and stuff. I was like, oh, it's all right. it's, I don't want to go anyway. But um, yeah, it would be pretty cool. Even like the, the TCR cars that I've seen that you guys drive. So I was ex- really excited about like doing that race at the start of the year at Phillip Island, but that yeah. didn't happen. And then, yeah, but yeah, any sort of car around a racetrack. I'd, I'd be pretty excited because obviously love motorsport all forms and yeah when v8s or tcr's on i'm like at the tv and watching away so i still love it and um yeah we'll have to so, organize something next time yeah yeah like long as i'd love to have a steer so that'd be pretty cool but um, there you go we swap swap yeah you swap. yeah you can ride caddy's <laughs> easy to ride <laughs> just, just tiptoe around yeah you'll be fine <laughs> Cool, Wayne. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Parked Up podcast. We uh, can't wait to uh, see the Australian Superbike Championship return or any motorsport for that damn matter. Um, <laughs> but uh, when it does all get going, we'll uh, we'll be watching on and hoping you can get that title under your belt. No worries, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, buddy. And we thank Wayne for his time. Those little bikes sound awesome, TD. We need yeah. to get onto one of those things. They look awesome. I've seen them on his Insta and uh, they, they're not exactly the same, but very, very similar. And um, yeah, that makes the rider look giant. <laughs> It'd probably even make me look normal on one of those things. So I'd be keen to have a little fang. I reckon I could handle that amount of power. You've, it would be so unfair. I'd need the bigger, I'd need the bigger yeah, bike or the, the more powerful bike because you, what, you weigh what? 40 kilo less than me. 65 kilo. Yeah. Well, you are 25 kilo less than me. This would, this would not be fair. Your bike would be like, (laughs) 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 mine would just be singing. Fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, talking about singing, the uh, man that we've, if you've watched any of the Olympics here in Australia, you've, uh, you would have heard the little tones of Chris Stubbs asking the athletes some pretty heavy duty questions. I didn't actually even realize that he was going to be part of the broadcast team. And when I heard that, heard that, uh, he was asking questions, I heard his voice. I thought, oh, that's awesome. Chris is in Tokyo. Good for him. Chris was not in Tokyo. The magic of television meant that he was able to do it from a studio um, far, far away. So, uh, as of course, we get to see a lot of him for the ARG broadcast. He's the official commentator for the Fanatec GT World Challenge Australia, powered by AWS. I just it wasted is. just wasted half of our episode uh, saying that whole name. Um, 
and and uh, of course he'll uh, he, he'll hopefully be uh, at the Bathurst One Thousand uh, as a uh, pit lane or news reporter sniffing out the big stories. But um, his world has all been about the Tokyo Olympics, and he's got the Paralympics coming up too. And while he's in a bit of hotel quarantinings, uh, we thought we'd grab him for a chat. So here he is, Chris Stubbs. And it's great to welcome Chris Stubbs back onto the Parked Up podcast. Chris Stubbs, you we, we thought you might have been in Japan for a little while, but you were only pretending to be in Japan, but you are in lockdown having just done uh, the uh, two weeks of uh, Olympic Games coverage. How are you going? Ohio gozaimasu. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing all right. And uh, Parked Up is pretty fair summation of my life for the last couple of weeks and the next few weeks to come so it's uh, it's an incredible experience to be part of a, a broadcast that big and that diverse given what's going on in the world to have some of us in Melbourne some of us in Sydney some of us in Tokyo and to have multiple broadcast centers all intertwined as one it was absolutely phenomenal to be part of it and uh, from the numbers that we've seen it was very well very well received which um, is incredible. Yeah, couldn't have been timed any better with all these uh, lockdowns and, and various things. Look, the Olympics are always, yeah, really, really exciting. Uh, and maybe just, maybe I was just getting a little bit too old for it and my, the, the, uh, the, the flame on my Olympic dream was, uh, was disappearing. But um, I think this year was, uh, was, was great and, and obviously uh, uh, an exceptional games for our Australian athletes with 17 gold and, and finishing so high up on the on the tally. Uh, just from from your, uh, from, can you just tell our viewers firstly how you fit into the uh, broadcast? Because we heard you a lot asking questions to the athletes who were in Tokyo, but you, but you were there. Yeah, so we had, in Melbourne, obviously we had our, our main channel, the seven main channel and, and all the hosts and everyone that was there. And then in, in Sydney, we, we were in a voiceover booth all connected up through to, to Tokyo. So we could speak to the reporters there and, and get our questions across. So there was myself in the evening shift, Trent Copeland during the daytime, Emma Freeman of a morning. So it was incredibly complex trying to remember who you're talking to and where and when and, and who your audience is. But I know, like, like you said there about the Olympic flame, you know, for yourself, maybe dissipating somewhat over the years. I think we're probably all of a similar gen generation when we think of Olympics, we think of Sydney. That was in our mm. prime, probably when we didn't have families and other things to think about and all we cared about was sport. Um, so I, I can probably relate to that in some ways, although I've been lucky enough to work on, on recent Olympics, but to see the success and for mine, it was the spirit of the games, which is such a cliche, but the way that athletes from different countries were interacting this time, I thought was on a whole nother level. I think it was clear that everyone's feeling a little more vulnerable than perhaps in previous times. And, and everyone was there just to celebrate each other's achievements. And I felt like the goal didn't matter as much anymore, maybe because we had more of it than we're used to. So, yep. so it was easier to say that, but I know for my kids watching at home in lockdown, it's just given them, something to dream about to aspire to and something to watch yeah absolutely my kids are exactly the same they got right into it and I, I sort of felt the same boys like I thought you know when I was younger I look forward to the Olympics so much but having kids now I've actually reignited my uh my interest in it and uh, there's some awesome moments along the way and I, I sort of thought back I thought 
how are these athletes actually affected by the lockdown over the last year and trying to prepare themselves for these games? I mean, that would have been a real challenge in itself. I mean, as a racing driver, you know, uh, whinge we're not in a race car often enough, but, you know, to think the Olympics only comes around every so often um, and to one chance to, uh, to live your dream, you, that sort of that training so important. It just would have been really interesting. And I wonder whether you've got any sort of um, insider gossip or knowledge of how the athletes dealt with that. I think it went both ways. For some, it ended their Olympic dream before it even began. Some retired because that extra year was just too far away for them, too hard for them to keep at the level that they were at and prepare mm. those ones that are later in their in their lifespan as an athlete. And we saw that with a number of them. Um, and then others that worked in their favour, someone like Zach Stubbledy Cook, who 12 months ago wasn't on the radar, wasn't even in the top sort of, you know, 15, 20 in his event. And, and now you look at what he's achieved as a gold medalist. So it worked, I guess, in, in both ways. And I guess for co-drivers, they have one opportunity at the moment, Bathurst, given that the, the three enduro races are, are no longer. It's, it's everything. It's what you prepare for at the moment. It's your one chance to shine. And yes, it might, go, stuff it up. <laughs> it might go for six hours, but it's your moment, isn't it? You know, and that's like, we had these conversations here with, with the producers and other people working on the project. And in that moment, like look at the hundred meters, you know, in the pool, for example, or on the track, it's 60 seconds. They've got mm. less than a minute even just to be able to to get everything right. And the hours and hours of preparation that they put into that moment is just, the difference can be a tenth of a second or less, you know, like Caleb Dressel to, to win that race and to defeat our man by the proverbial. And it makes such a difference in their life. It's, uh, it's incredible. Look back to someone like James Magnuson. You know, he could have been one of our great Olympic heroes. Forget the fact he was already a world champion, but he missed that gold in London by the barest of margins and it changed his life. Mm -hmm. hey, hey, before the Olympics, how much work you got to do to try and like research on the athletes? Um, obviously you want to um, be able to speak um, about them and know their whole careers and know their preparation, all that sort of stuff. There must be a lot of time spent prior to the games, actually, you know, learning about the, every athlete that Australia has, but you know, other athletes as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hardcore. Uh, just yeah. like my wife, she didn't really see much of me for the, the last, um, I think it was about 100 days down. I think when that big countdown milestone was hit, I was spending, trying to spend at least three hours a day on it. Um, usually of a night, once the kids were in bed, I'd be up to kind of one, sometimes two if I was on a roll, just trying to memorise as much as I could when I had that clear airtime to, to make sure it was actually sinking in. The research that was provided by Seven was phenomenal. Never seen anything like it. Aaron Noonan's great, right? <laughs> and everything that he provides is, is incredible. And he's done this job before, so he would know well. But the level was just, it blew my mind how much information was available to us. So a lot of these stories, like your Harry Garside sort of stories that came to the fore during the Olympics, Peter Bowl, we knew all that stuff. Like we could see these were going to be the stories that people would relate to and that they would embrace. And so then to see the athletes performing when you already knew what they'd been through yeah. made you just embrace it all, all the more. It was, I mean, I loved Harry. I thought, I thought he was outstanding uh, the way he went about it. And, you know, him just saying, well, I, I grew up in this family of alpha males and I thought that's how I had to be. And then I realized I could be me. And he did a lot of work with um, the Reach Foundation, uh, Jimmy Steins' foundation and, and realized 
no, I, I can be myself. I can do ballet to better myself and my career and my um, experience in the ring. I take myself somewhere uncomfortable and, and use that. I, I thought that was incredible. I mean, we've all got our moments. Jess Fox, her dad, Richard, obviously, you would have seen was part of our commentary team. And, and he was actually in Sydney with us. And when he walked out after Jess won the gold, everyone just stood and applauded. And there wasn't a dry eye there because he was such a great guy. And we all got to know him a bit from being around. And to see what it meant to him and to Jess um, was just remarkable. I met Jess on the tube actually at London 2012 when she was just a teenager and her passion and vibe for the games. She heard myself and the cameraman with Aussie accents and straight away wanted to strike up a conversation to know why we were at the Olympics, what we were doing. And she was just all for it. So to see her finally get that gold, that was an incredible moment to, to not be a part of, but just to be on the periphery of. Uh, now, hey, Tony, did you know that the Harry the Boxer, he actually went, it grew up around these parts. He grew up in Lilydale. Really? Yeah, and he went, wow. to Mor- he went to Moorabark East Primary School. No, he didn't. It was just around the corner from your, your yeah. the house you grew up at. There you go. Yeah, wow. There you go. <clears throat> um, all, all, the, all the good athletes. <laughs> that area. <laughs> um, so uh, I guess the, the thing that the Olympics always brings is some sports that you've never seen before. You never, you never thought this is actually an Olympic sport. You can't win a gold medal for this thing. My one for 2020 or 2021, whatever we're going to call the Tokyo Games, is uh, rock climbing. And they were doing the seven-second scoot up the thing. Now... I was interested in it because it was kind of really dynamic and, you know, they were doing it in six seconds, seven seconds, eight seconds or whatever. But I only got to see the women's and 90% of those girls were all very, very, very good looking. <laughs> it was my favourite Olympic sport. I'm not going to comment on that. but I will What question you, are you asking him? I will, I will tell you that it rated incredibly well. <laughs> the first time that the sport climbing was on air, we saw the figures come back and we realised then that we need to make sure our schedule gives it some, some really good coverage because people were loving it. It was, mm. it was, it was action and plenty and it was quick. It was just pretty sure you text me at some point and told me it was on. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm surprised I put my head down from the uh, TV to uh, give you that uh, give you that time. What uh, from from all the sports you saw, Chris, over the over the time? What was the what was the one that you know got uh, got your interest? Uh, look, in terms of sports, there's the intricacies of equestrian. We had quite a bit of equestrian on seven mate, and what they can do with those horses. I, I love horses. I used to own a racehorse back in the day, as plenty of us have. We the, haven't, no. <laughs> it's horse I've, I've, bet, I've bet on them at the pub. <laughs> there we go. We can relate. The intricacies of what they can do. And it had me thinking, you know what? I'm not 40 yet. If Andrew Hoy is in his 60s and winning medals, if I had 10 years of training, <laughs> could I be an Olympian yet? But the problem is you need probably a couple of million bucks to buy a horse. So I can't probably see that uh, coming uh, true for me, but... Uh, I loved Ariane Titmus as well, being a, a kid growing up in Tassie, watching her dad present the sport news every night. We only had two channels in northern Tasmania and Southern Cross. He was the sport presenter and it was all I wanted to ever to be. And uh, so then to follow when Ariane kind of came onto the scene as a, as a swimmer at the early junior levels on the world stage, to follow her through and to see her beat the greatest ever in Katie Ledecky, that had me off the couch. I was at home at that time at the hotel watching and, and it was just incredible and to see Steve's excitement and 
uh, that was a really cool moment, I thought. So your uh, Tokyo journey hasn't quite stopped yet. You've got through um, the Summer Games, but now you've got the Paralympics as well. So what happens from here? Yeah, so at the moment um, I've got 10 days and then fly off to Tokyo, uh, which in itself is, involves a lot of restrictions and regulations. So I've got a couple of tests to be done COVID-wise before we fly off. Um, testing obviously once we landed, tested for every day for the first three days. We have an app that tracks where we go. So we have a, a path every day that's been approved by the um, Paralympic organizers where we can go from our hotel to the venue and back. And if we go more than 200 meters off that path, it sets off an alert and notification to the organizers that we've gone off our pre-approved wow. path. So there's a lot of, it's no holiday. It's not like we're uh, going up to Mount Panorama and heading to the pub every night or anything like that. It's, uh, it, it needs to be like this to protect us, to protect the athletes, to protect the people of Japan. So absolutely all signed up for that, no worries. But it's going to be intense. It's going to be hot. Obviously, you're wearing the masks the whole time. Um, so the Paralympics will be amazing. Jo Griggs is just so passionate. She's done it a number of times. And, and what she tells us about the experience, she reckons it's the greatest thing she's ever done in, in her career to be part of the coverage for a Paralympics. They're incredible athletes. And it just so happens that they've got incredible backstories as well. So over there for the couple of weeks of competition, then back home or well, back to Sydney for a couple of weeks of hotel quarantine. And then 10 weeks after leaving back with the family, finally. Now we talk about sacrifices for athletes, but mate, uh, as a commentator, you're making a fair old sacrifice to the family. How are they coping with you being away? Uh, <laughs> Next question. Point, it has its high <laughs> points and its low points, I guess. Um, look, motorsport people know it. We've lived it, haven't we? The last you know, 18 months, two years. So um, what I'm doing is nothing compared to what some of the teams and drivers and and that have done. So we're very familiar with it. Um, it's hard. It's very hard, especially on when there's lockdown and your, your kids are at home and your wife's trying to look after them and run a business of her own and, and you're not oh, there. Wow. It's, um, it's challenging. You miss them incredibly. Um, but but you, you do savour the time by yourself though, don't you? <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think my wife will be listening to this. So I can say it is nice <laughs> to just come home and be on your own a bit. <laughs> Now, of course, we've seen plenty of you at the Australian Racing Group uh, 7 coverage uh, for those first four glorious rounds while we were able to uh, get out and, and do those things. We've kind of been, uh, yeah, parked up for a little bit since then. Uh, we'll get to see you more during the last couple of ARG events, but uh, now that you're firmly entrenched in the uh, in the in the world of seven, do you think we might get to see you for the Bathurst 1000 as well or, or some of their other events towards the back end of the year? Yeah, well, I'll definitely be at, obviously, the TCR rounds. I won't be at Sandown because I'll be in the hotel. In Either will we, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> after, after that, I'll be back. Supercars, I'll, I'll, uh, I expect I'll be part of. That's, that's the plan. But again, who knows where it'll be, how it'll be. There's so many um, factors that still have to be determined there. Uh, seventh Gear, our, our show, that, that's going to go ahead. So we're looking forward to that. So myself and Jack Perkins will be hosting that. Um, Anna Stone, the executive producer, has been producing the morning shift on the Olympics with Joe and Das. So she's been flat chat with that, as has Lewis Martin. And so now they can all re realign and 
and refocus down on seventh gear, which is something they're really committed to making sure we get a motorsport show up and running. Um, so that times in well, obviously, with all the supercars content that we have in the back half of the year. So looking forward to, to being part of that and back in the newsroom for seven as well. So keeping busy. Awesome, mate. Well, great to see you. We didn't actually see you uh, during the coverage. We got to hear lots of you, but so we will get to see you for some of the Paralympics. Is that right? Yeah, I'll be there on, on the ground interviewing the athletes and, and sharing their stories with you and they're worth sharing, that's for sure, mate. Awesome. Thank you, Chris Stubbs. Thanks for joining us on Parked Up, mate. We'll see you very soon. Anytime, boys. Good to chat. Thanks, mate. Um, we thank Stubbsy for his time on the Parked Up podcast. Tony D, we're powered by Race Fuels. Um, if you were going to be an Olympian, Tony, what would have you been? Um, that is a very good question. And you just caught me off guard a little bit. Um, I wish they'd actually introduced motorsport, to be honest. Um, that would be good. I mean, you know, the Olympics is all about the athlete, right? So it's not generally meant to be about the equipment that you use. Hence why motorsport is not involved in the Olympics. Yeah. But what about those? Like I was looking at those Toyota ads and they were spruiking about how they helped make those, the wheelchairs for the, for the Paralympians, um, some of the bike designers for those uh, road racing bikes, that's all mechanical stuff. I know that it's generally like, it, you know, you could probably, I could have the best bike in the world, the best road bike in the world. I ain't going to win against well, those guys. It's like with uh, the equestrian and, and sports like that. I mean, I only caught a little bit about it the other day, but one athlete who was a female, she was absolutely dominating. And I think in like the last round or something, the horse just decided not to play ball anymore. So all that work, looking like she was going to win, and the horse is just like, nah. I've had enough for one day. I want to have dinner or something <laughs> and crushed her dreams of actually winning a gold medal. And she was absolutely distraught. Um, but that's one of the sports I reckon where equipment or your horse, if you want to call it equipment, um, could play a huge role in the result you know, outside of being just an athlete. Yeah. So, um, but uh, I reckon I'd be pretty good at like shot put or something. You don't need much strength for that or pole vaulting or, you know, something just to, that um, would really utilize my physique. <laughs> Dear tiny, uh, tiny little legs. Yeah. Get it over that bar. <clears throat> yeah, I guess What so. would you go for? Uh, I reckon probably like something boring, like a track and field sort of thing. I always fancied myself as a bit of a runner back in the day. So maybe you, some sprints or something. You've got, you have got the best legs going mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. And like I say it's a that. Fact. It's a fact. It is a fact, honestly. It goes south from basically. <laughs> waist up. Waist up, yeah. But um, look, you do have very fit looking legs. And that's from, you know, your days of running around uh, chasing girls, I think. Mm, well, just running around at the very least. <laughs> running around in circles chasing girls, that's for sure. Oh dear. It must be almost time to wrap this show up because we're getting a bit rowdy right now. Okay. Well, uh, that can, that can be enough. Of course, we thank everyone for listening to Parked Up. We thank everyone for keeping our good friends at Race Fuels top of mind when it comes to uh, putting fuel in your race car. Of course, we can't be doing too much of that at the moment, but when we do do that, you know the only place to go is Race Fuels. Mark Tierney, Sean Scott, and his great men, 
who fuel up everyone from the Supercars Championship right down to state-level, club-level competition. They're always there for you. Um, it's been a hard time for those guys of late with absolutely no racing. If there's no racing on, there's no work for for race fields. So uh, keep those guys top of mind next time you need to put um, some of that uh, Elf Race 102 or E85 or... Um, 98 Ron in the uh, tank of your little weapon that's also parked up sitting in your garage at the moment. Just just go and empty your fuel, fill it back up. Empty your fuel, like do like a fire pit or something um, just to support race fuels for us, please. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, maybe not the fire pit idea. Don't do that. No burnings. We don't need to burn anything. Oh, but, mate, I'll become an absolute pyro these days. <laughs> Oh, you have because you've got your uh, your little fire pit out the back. I love it every <clears throat> every day. It's like, should we do another fire pit? Yeah, no worries. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> it is. Uh, it does look very nice. Tony D has just done I, a, a bit of um, manipulation to his backyard. It looks fantastic, and he's promised us all of us who listen to, <laughs> we can come over to his place and enjoy the fruits of his hard work. I really would like to in, uh, invite you over for a beer, but um, we're not allowed to do that at the moment. So. Mm. And I wouldn't be breaking any rules, of course. So no, I definitely wouldn't do that. No, 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 no. Maybe we should we should do parked up next week from our play from my place. I should say at if, the fire um, pit. At the fire pit, if we're out of lockdown. All right, okay. we'll be responsible. Okay. Done. Done. Let's do that. Okay. Okay. Done. Until next Done. week. Done. Talk soon. All right. See you, mate.